It's time to take your seat in the front row with Mike Vaccaro. Here's your host, Mike Vaccaro. Hey, thank you, Chuck Denson, and welcome, everybody. Mike Vaccaro here once again in the front row. As always, JR Quitman. Behind the scenes, our creator, producer, and director. This is a CLNS Media Network podcast. Well, it is basketball, our focus in episode number 55 here today, and we go to our roots. We are based in Wilmington, North Carolina, and it's a native of Wilmington, Kenny Gaddison, who joins us here today to share his journey. Growing up in Wilmington, playing against Mike, yeah, Michael Jordan is that guy that he played against uh, on the streets and also in the gymnasium on the high school level as well. Talks about his relationship with Michael Jordan, how that relationship helped get him to Old Dominion, where he was the Sunbelt Player of the Year, eventually went to the NBA, a nine-year career there, including many years spent with the Charlotte Hornets, early days of the Hornets as an expansion franchise in the NBA, from their coaching career and now working back with the NBA as well. A great story, great journey from Kenny Gaddison. Great stories here. Now, we do apologize for some glitching from the video portion of this, so if uh, you do mind that, you can go to the description below and see the link for the audio-only version. Again, great stories talking about Michael Jordan, the Hornets, also John Calipari in the mix as well. You don't want to miss this episode, a really good one, episode number 55 with Kenny Gaddison. First of all, we certainly appreciate you taking some time uh, to join us here today, to share your story with us here today, and and, and so many great things about your life that we're going to get into. And we want to start where it began for you in, in Wilmington, North Carolina, where we're based out of. Uh, you grew up in, in Wilmington, a, a much different time than it is nowadays here. What was life like for you growing up in, in Wilmington at that time? Well, I mean, it was it was a different era, as you say. I, I remember as a little kid, you know, walking around the downtown area of the cobblestone streets and, you know, I ain't no spring chicken. So I do remember the, you know, the colored signs and the colored entrances and, you know, the colored water fountains and places you couldn't go. And um, so it's it's been a absolute joy for me to to see the changes you know not only in wilmington but in this country it's been a you know i i have three sons now and we spend most of our conversations most of our time talking about what my life was like and, and the things of you know these last these last 70, 75 years in this country have been truly remarkable on every level you can imagine. Uh, technology, human rights, uh, equality, you know. It's not perfect, but it's better than it was. So, you know, I, I enjoy my time when I'm down in Wilmington and, you know, it's my hometown. I, you know, I, I love Wilmington dearly. And, you know, some people, when they get out of a small town, 
you never want to set foot back in it. I love coming to Wilmington because it's it's my history, it's my past, and so many wonderful things happened for me there. Yeah, you're born in 1964, so through the late 60s, early 70s, did you see in your childhood a lot of changes? As you mentioned, you know, separation at the time, but did you see barriers broken as you were growing up? Not necessarily when laws were put in place. You know, this this thing is not a it didn't get broken overnight, so it didn't get fixed overnight. You you I don't you can integrate schools in sixty-nine or whatever you you want to, you still were expected to sit in the back of the class and the white kids sit in the front. And you get on a city bus you're expected to go to the back. Uh, so I, I would say the, the, the transformation was slow and steady to get us to where we are today. Yeah, it's, it's just a kind of surreal to remember events in history and why things happen and you know and i mean we we're right here in the midst of black history mine has been so much black history and growing up and uh in real time with the with the civil rights movement and martin luther king as a little kid you know watching my older relatives just revere this man and you're sitting around as a little boy and you know you're like, okay, what's what's going on? Because all you know is this little town Wilmington, but you know, the, the movement was turning into a tsunami right about, you know, 67, 68, 69. With that as your backdrop, playing sports, what was sports like for you during that time and, and developing into the player that you became? Sports was the great equalizer. Sports. I can't stress to parents the the value that competing in on a sports team and playing with teammates, white, black, Asian, Latino, Indian, we were all on the same team. And you had that person's back no matter what. And the social conditioning, the teamwork conditioning was just as important as the physical conditioning because, you know, for, for, the white kids that never got a chance, you know, to grow up around black people and and see black people, they quickly learn to realize that, you know, when I break my nose in football practice, I bleed red blood. So do the black kids. They bleed red blood too. We're all the same. We're just different colors and just meshing our society through sports was so valuable and so important. I grew up on 
you know, the north side of Wilmington, there were no white people around there. It was, you know, it's like I almost gut laugh now when I'm in Wilmington and I see white people walking up and down just jolly and happy on Castle Street and on Red Cross Street. I'm like, shut the front door. This, what in the world? Is, you know, so it's, it's so amazing. It's so beautiful, you know, and you, you, like I said, our, our country isn't perfect, but it is, it has gotten better. So I don't, I don't plan on leaving no time soon. Yeah. As you said, sports, a great equalizer and, and brings everybody together. Uh, let's talk about your, your high school career here and bringing people together because you're an outstanding athlete at New Hanover High School here in town. And not just basketball, which you went pro in, but but football as well. You're a pretty good football player and played high school football for the Wildcats as well. Well, you know, all of my friends that I grew up with and, you know, back in that day, the, the guys you started first and second grade, when you ended up graduating with them, you know, you just stayed, you, you weren't moving around. You know, I moved around quite a bit. But all of my friends that knew me growing up, you know, my dream was to be the tight end for the Dallas Cowboys. And, you know, I was that guy. When it came to basketball. And everybody had picked nine players and they look at me and I was a 10th one. They're like, oh, my God, not him. And I'm like, y'all, y'all just let's get on to football season. So I was the one that, you know, everybody was so shocked and surprised to, to have a professional career in basketball because I was such a standout uh, football uh, defensive end and tight end uh, in high school that it was almost preconceived I was going to be a football player and Gosh, over the span of two years, I must have grew about four inches. And I, I actually was a late bloomer in basketball because I never played. I never seriously played basketball. And I started to grow tall. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you, you, you know, you have to look in the mirror and have an honest talk with yourself. And I was like in the 10th grade and playing junior varsity basketball and, I looked in the mirror. I'm like, dude, you really suck. You are <laughs> just <laughs> bottom of the boot awful. And I, I started going in the gym at lunchtime during football season. At lunchtime, I scheduled a coach for my class after lunch. And I'm like, okay, I got to put in the work to see how good I can be at basketball. And uh, I became a very, very good basketball player, to say the least. <laughs> and it was something that was very slow, very methodical, because I really, in, in, the, in the 10th grade, I really had to start with just the basic fundamentals of basketball from the dribbling drills, right hand, left hand, layups, the mic and drill, all these things that the kids that love basketball were doing when they were seven years old. 
I was sleeping with a football, you know. Now, granted, if I'd have chosen to pursue a football career, I probably would have been a Pro Bowl tight end in the NFL. I was high school, what, six, seven, about 230, 235, run a 4 or 5 So, I, I, so there's a reason why I had scholarships to every ACC and SEC and Big Ten school and, and football. But something clicked, and – I put so much work in the football and, and I was one of those guys that the coaches used to watch that old eight millimeter film grainy looked like a old TCM Western or something like that. And I just sit in the back of the class room at the field house with him and I'd watch the film and football became so boring to me. I'm like, you know, I'm going to really start practicing basketball. And then the one thing that made the difference in basketball, in football, I had to rely on 10 other people on either side of the ball to do their job as good as I was doing mine. In basketball, I only had to rely on four. So somewhere in the 11th, in between the 11th and the 12th grade, I, I started to say, you know, I think I prefer to play, even though I love football, I'm, I'm starting to like basketball really a lot. And I'll tell you an interesting uh, tidbit that most people don't know. When, when Mike went to five-star camp up in Pittsburgh. Uh, and that was in between, he was a year older, so that was in between his junior and senior year. In between my sophomore and junior year. So when he comes back from five-star, it's, you know, we always had standing pickup games during the summertime. Whether and the mic you're talking about is Michael Jordan, for those who, who don't know, also a, a Wilmington uh, native. Oh, hey, <laughs> I call him Mike. Forever. Exactly, exactly. If, I love it. If I was to call him Michael Jordan, he would give me a side eye like, okay, <laughs> what in the hell are you up to? You know, I've never called him Michael. I don't. That's the guy on the posters. You know, right. Mike is the guy that we were playing at Empty Park. That's the guy I grew up with, you know. But anyway, when he came back from five-star basketball camp and we had our standing pickup game, and he was like, look, guys, and that was, you know, talking to me and Rondro and Rondro Boney and Ronald Jones, who were two exceptional athletes that played with me at New Hanover and, and growing up. He's like, look, man, you guys have to go to five-star. You know, he went up there and won every award there was. And he, he was like, we don't know how good we are. We sit around here and beat each other's brains out. And then I go to Five Star and I win every trophy there. So Mike really was the one that, that spearheaded the, the Kenny Gaddison basketball movement. And the next summer, Coach Emerson drove, we drove from Wilmington to, up to Pittsburgh five-star camp. 
and me, Ron Drillboni, Ronald Jones, Andre Boynton, and we stopped by Chapel Hill and picked up Ranzino Smith. And uh, so you're talking about six big dudes crammed into a four-door Buick Century going around there mountainsides in Pennsylvania. I'm like, Lord, if you get me out of here, I promise you I'll never come back. So five star went well. And now I turn into a highly recruited basketball player. And that's when things started to to click for me saying, you know, first my goal was to get out of Wilmington, North Carolina, you know, either Jacksonville in the Marines or Fort Bragg in the Air Force, you know. Never, never was it a thought of being a professional athlete. Uh, just didn't think that way. I, I, growing up, I was probably one of the smallest of my relatives, cousins and everybody. I was a little, I was the runt. And, and then I grew and, you know, so by the time I got to my senior year in high school, I had my pick of uh, scholarships to, you know, most major conferences in the country, football and basketball. So it was a it was a, a achievement to know that I could go to college and get a education. Other than you know, my my parents couldn't afford to send me to college. You know, like I said, I the the, the most successful people that I knew growing up. They either worked out at General Electric or they were in the military. So I'm like, well, I'm getting out of Wilmington, so I guess I'll go in the military. So, but it worked out, you know, and and it's been a just an amazing, amazing ride because it was nothing I never dreamt of. It's you know, and I'm assuming Mike, being the the the, the basketball guy that he was growing up. He always dreamed of playing at Carolina. He always dreamed of playing in the NBA. You know, I dreamed of going to play football at Clemson. And I had a post of Roger Staubach on my wall, not Julius Irving. So I was wired kind of differently. <laughs> well, let's go back to those those pickup games at MP Park. Who, who was winning those games? I'm sure... And and don't tell me you and Michael Jordan were on the same team together because oh, that was not oh, there at the time. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> Mike and I, the only time Mike and I ever, and this honest, honest God's truth, the only time that Mike and I ever teamed up on any team whatsoever, it was when we used to go out to UNCW when Danny Davis and, and Mel Gibson and those guys we might have been ninth or tenth graders. We would go out to UNC Wilmington and play UNC Wilmington's uh, team, and we beat them. And Coach Gibson was like, "You know what? You guys get out of my freaking gym and come over here and beat my guys, but I can't get none of you to come to school here." We're like, "Coach, we just want to get out of here. What, what are you talking about? We don't take it personal." We, we better than your guys, but we, we're not staying here. And 
So we, we go to Empey Park and we play our pickup games and it was always my guys against his guys. And probably two through five, we had the better players. And, you know, we, we, we go out and we play on the asphalt and, you know, back in those days, we, you, we played 11, you had to win by two. And we could be up nine to six or comfortable lead. And all of a sudden, Mike would score and nobody could stop him. He'd get every rebound and nobody could stop him. And, you know, he'd carry his whole team and they would beat us. And I would say we probably split 50-50, probably about like we did in high school, I would imagine, because, you know, he was an absolutely phenomenal basketball player. Like I said, we were better athletes <laughs> two through five. You know, he just was far superior. You know, it's like we – we didn't know what to call it. We didn't know what it was, but it was always something different about Mike athletically, mindset. You know, we'd all jump in the air for the ball. Everybody be down and he'd still be up there. <laughs> and we're like, okay, what what this dude got uh wings on his shirt or something? And uh just his knack for making plays and making shots in close games. We saw that at an early age. And of course we didn't, we didn't know what to call it. And we're like, you know what? That boy's good. We don't know why, but you know, he was just different. And we, as we got older, we realized God made Mike. And then he broke the mold because, <laughs> you know, during that time, and it, it's so funny, you know, we go sitting here reminiscing. If you weren't going to play at Carolina, whether it was on the varsity team or the JV team, Coach Smith wouldn't allow you to come on campus and play. It was only for Carolina players. So we would all go to – Bobby Crimmins camp at Appalachian State. And when I tell you, you know, we were ninth and tenth graders. We back in those days, you 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 couldn't commit, you know, but me, Mike, James Worthy, Sleepy Floyd, Brad Doherty, Nate McMillan, uh, Cecil Exum, Dominique Wilkins, Gerald Wilkins. We <sighs> We had no clue of what was in that gym. We were just young black athletes playing basketball, trying to beat the tar out of each other. <laughs> but you talking about, you know, and as we go on and, and we always have a conversation in the pros, oh, whose guys were better? And I'm like, I don't care what you say. 
<laughs> in the state of North Carolina, graduating classes from 1979 to 1982 will beat any other state in the country. And these guys from Chicago and New York and all that. And then you start rallying down names, Nick McMillan, Michael Jordan, James Worthy, Dominic Wilkins, Gerald Wilkins, Brad Doherty, Kenny Gaddison, and a, a host of other, Danny Manning. And well, Danny Manning might've came, graduated about 83 or 84 or something like that. But you're still talking about 12 guys that played in the NBA four of them in the Hall of Fame, seven, eight of them became all-stars, and here we are running around in uh, Bobby Crimmins' basketball camp at Antelope States with them Daisy Duke shorts on, so tight you can count the change in your pockets. I believe a couple guys was playing in cut-off jeans, so, you know, it was that was us back in the day. Yeah, what you had in that gym was a hell of a lot of talent right there. As you said, Hall of Famers, a lot of NBA guys. And, and was, for you, for, for you again, using that experience playing against those guys that, that got you to Old Dominion and you had an outstanding career there. You were the Sunbelt Player of the Year during your career as well. Uh, what do you remember most about your time in Norfolk playing for the Monarchs? Coach Paul Webb. I, I, growing up in North Carolina, I never heard of Old Dominion in my life. I was, I went to Five Star Camp the summer of 1981. And Mark West had on an ODU basketball t-shirt. And I walked up to him and I said, hey man, what's this ODU basketball, you know, biting off UNC colors? He's like, oh, it's Old Dominion University where I go to school, North Virginia. I'm like, okay. I never heard of Old Dominion or never heard of Norfolk. I'll <laughs> see you around. And what impressed me about Mark, all the campers were the camp counselors, you know, college players from all around the country and da-da-da-da-da. Most of them, you know, they come to – you know, of course, Pittsburgh, it was a good old beer drinking steel mill town. So I'm um, assuming when those college guys got done with, because the drinking age was 18 back there, when they got through spending five hours, six hours teaching the high school kids drills and skills and things that night, they went out and had a few sarsaparillas. So they come back in the morning barely on time, smelling like a brewery. But Mark West walked around with a backpack and whenever there was lunch or a break, I always noticed he had his head down in a book. So I migrated towards him and I'm like, okay, big fella, what you doing? He's like, I'm studying. I said, in the summertime? He said, yeah, I got summer school class I'm taking, I'm majoring in finance. So, you know, I'm up here for a week or so, but I go back, I got to take exams. So I got to study. He's the only one I saw studying. And then from that moment, I'm like, you know what? I like you. And as my recruiting, once I got back from five star, 
you know, I made the or whatever it was, the five-star all-star team, the best 10 guys in the camp, best 10 or 12, and nobody ever heard of me. They had no reason to hear me. I was an all-state football player, hell-bent on playing football. But after that, after I got back from five-star, every basketball coach in America was trying to get on the phone with me or come to Wilmington and visit. And it was, it was really tough because I was being recruited very heavily in both sports. And some guys relish the attention. Somebody, some guys love the attention. I didn't necessarily love it because I didn't want to be on the phone listening to coaches give their pitch you know i had things to do i had practice i had homework to do you know i wasn't about to sit and listen to a bunch of snake oil salesmen gas my head up and telling me how great i could be when you know i knew i was going to play college football at that time so it just was a it was a quick pivot and I finally got to know the coaches. I wasn't concerned about getting to know the coaches from Old Dominion as much as I was getting to know Mark West. And most of my recruiting calls, yeah, I told the coaches from Old Dominion, Oliver Purnell and Coach Webb and Eddie Webb, I'm like, whenever y'all call me, make sure Mark West is close by because I want to talk to him. I like that dude. And uh, so we, we we formed a close relationship, me and Mark, the, the coaches, and I started taking my <coughs> visits. And by this time, I'm about visited out because I had football visits and then the basketball visits, and I promised – I promised Mark West I'd use my last visit to come visit him in Old Dominion. I'm like, ain't no way in hell I'm going to school there, but I'll come visit you. And uh, got to meet Dale Curry at Five Star Camp, and we became really good friends in high school. And I told him I'd come visit Virginia Tech because Dell might have been in high school when we met, we were 17, you know, 11th graders going into our senior years. He might have been the best shooter I ever seen in my No, 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 not might have been. He was the best shooter I ever seen in my life. And I had enough sense to, I'm like, okay, he had already committed to Virginia Tech. And I'm like, well, sure would be nice to play with a guard that can make shots all night. <laughs> and uh, so I visited. Virginia Tech because of Dell. And once I got off the plane and I saw Blacksburg, Virginia, I'm like, oh, no, to the hell, to the no, no. <laughs> like, like, there's no way I'm coming to school up in these hills. And uh, lo and behold, I used my last visit to go visit Old Dominion. I get there, I, I think I... I got there at night, so I really didn't see it. And 
you know, wake up the next morning, wake, open up the hotel blinds. <clears throat> and all I see is this water. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm, I'm in a bigger Wilmington. And I'm like, okay, how far is this? I'm like, it's only five hours up, five and a half hours up 17. So it, it, it passed the eyeball test. And one of the things that I was always very, very conscious of and aware of when I went on visits, I wanted to watch the team practice. And if a coach used profanity towards his players or if he degraded them or just anything negative, I crossed that school off my list because the coaches that I grew up with, Coach Emerson, Coach Miller, they were they were hard coaches, they were firm, they were fair, but they treated us like young adults. They did not MF us, they never degraded us. Now, they run your butt into the ground. You wouldn't get no, it was no shortcut, but you were treated with respect and the and the the way you should treat. You know, that's why I just despise coaches that yell and cuss and rant. And you know, because the way how I grew up. You call me something other than Kenny or Gaddison, I'm, I'm going to punch you in the mouth. So that that just sealed it for me. All these coaches and they they yelling and screaming in players' faces, and I'm like, you know what? I would knock that dude out so fast. Coach Webb recruited me in 1981. I committed to Old Dominion in the in the late fall of 1981. It's 2023. What is that? 42 years. Yeah, yeah. In the 42 years I've known Coach Webb, I've never heard him use profanity. Wow. That's why I went to Old Dominion. That's why I still love that man like a dad today. He's 92 now. We talk. Uh, every week or every two weeks and we're really close and you know his his family became my family his grandkids i know them i know all of them we're we're not just friends we're family so in a nutshell old dominion was perfect for kenny gaddison and kenny gaddison was perfect for old dominion you know i could have went to all of these acc schools and Maybe because of the pressure to win, not have a chance to develop slowly and, you know, but <laughs> trust me, if I could play in the NBA, I could damn sure play any other ACC school. So that was never the issue of, oh, I got to go to, the, I'm going to UNC because Mike's going there. You know, Dean Smith, you know, the, the, probably one of the only times he left Chapel Hill was to come down and 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 recruit Mike and just so happened it was Mike's senior year and we playing at their place and we beat them. 
And um, Dean Smith and his little nasally tone voice, kind of senior, you're going to be a fine player son, but I'd love for you to come to Chapel Hill, but we have this worthy kid, son, and you're just not going to play. <laughs> I say, Coach, I appreciate it, but I don't plan on going to Chapel Hill. I'm pretty much a football guy, so <laughs> that was uh, that was that was my conversation about Chapel Hill with Dean Smith, and uh, you know, God bless him. He was a wonderful coach to a lot of players over there. Well, again, it obviously worked out for you, 82-86 to 86 at Old Dominion. You led them to their first-ever NCAA tournament win against West Virginia during that time, and, and you eventually parlayed that into your NBA career. Nine-year career for you after getting drafted by the Phoenix Suns. What stands out to you, your career? Because it seems like your, your best years back in your home state of North Carolina, playing for the Charlotte Hornets, the early days of the Hornets. Do you remember those times fondly? Oh, my goodness. I mean, how many kids get to play professional sports three hours from where they were born and raised? Now, that's a blessing and a curse. I had a whole lot of cousins all of a sudden and wanted tickets to games and stuff. So it was, you know, but it was the most wonderful time, the most wonderful experience because I was born and raised right here, three hours from Charlotte. And to be here playing in my home state, to be out there at the Hive with 23,476 screaming fans sold out for 10 straight years. You, 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 a kid couldn't ask for anything better. It just, there's no way I could have put together this basketball journey. It's just, you know, I throughout all of the injuries and the, everything and, you know, is this big debate going on in football about concussions and all this stuff and it's a very serious thing. You find me, the NFL or the NBA player that played 10 plus years and say, if you had the chance to do it over again, would you do it? Eight out of 10 going to say, yes, I would. And the two that say, no, I would not, if you hooked them up to a lie detector, you see they lying. So you, you get a chance to play professional sports. It's, it's just, it's amazing. It's like living in a, living in a, in a reality. What is this thing they call the virtual metaverse now? Sure, yes. That was what I was living. <laughs> from 89 to 96 when I was going to that Charlotte Coliseum two, three nights a week to play in front of my home state fans. It was just, it was, you know, 
all I can say is you're you're I'm thankful and I'm blessed for my journey. It wasn't always easy. You know, my my childhood was, was, was rough. Down in Wilmington, it was rough. Life was not easy. But, you know, all I'll tell you, and that's what I tell my kids today, you know, thank, you know, I was blessed to, to, to have a long career in the NBA as a player and a coach and been blessed that my children never know what hard times look or sound like, you know. But this is what I'll tell you. And this is one of the things that I believe with all my heart. Only is the only in the hottest fire is the hardest steel forged. So what I had to go through prepared me for what was to come ahead. You know, I get drafted in 86 with the Suns, training camp of 87. I completely shred my left knee. Doctors basically say, you got to go ahead and retire. You're done. I'm like, no, I'm not. You got to fix it, don't you? You got to repair it. I got to have surgery. Then I'm going to try to play. Then I go on to play nine years more and multitudes and I got six, seven screws and two, three rods and steel plates in my body now. Would I do it again? You damn skippy. Every <laughs> last day of it. So, you know, it's a it's, it's an honor and a blessing that I cherish. And, you know, there's just I'm I'm just grateful. I'm grateful for the journey. I'm grateful for everything and again it was the early days of the hornets that you were on those teams and you were on teams that their first playoff appearance or second playoff appearance in in franchise history and you played with some of the greats you eventually got a chance to play with dale curry you played with you know guys like alonzo morning larry johnson uh kendall gill mugsy bogues johnny newman some of the greats in franchise history as you look back at that time do you, do you remember more the time with the players or do you remember the accomplishments that you had as a member of that Hornets team? All of it. Because you don't have one without the other. We, whether it was in season, off season, we always were together. Me and Muggs and, and Dale, we lived in Charlotte. Uh, Hersey Hawkins, you know, he had school-age kids. So he lived year-round in Charlotte. And we always did everything together. Unlike these sports teams of today, we, we cared about each other. We, we genuinely liked each other. We would go to each other's house and barbecue and sit around and our kids would get in the pool and play. And we all wanted to go out for, you know, take our wives out on a night of a town. We get a couple of our babysitters and say, okay, y'all got all the kids for tonight. And we'd go out and we'd have some of the best New Year's Eve parties and 
celebrations and we all go to practice the next day and puke in a trash can, but <laughs> we had a ball. We were friends. And to this day, me and Muggs and Dale, we don't live far from each other. We see each other all the time. We see each I just saw Muggsy three days ago. And that's what made it so special. You know, you can win and hate the guy you're playing with. You know, it, you know, it's like all of this negative stuff that's coming out for the last dance or whatever that bull thing was. Last dance. That was a Donna Summer song, I think. Anyway, all them guys need to shut the hell up. Because without Mike Wooden, not one of them won a championship on their own. So the the guys that I played with, we were so close and cared about each other. And still to this day, me, Zoe, LJ, David Wingate, Mike Jaminski, all of us, we, we, because we genuinely liked each other. We loved each other. And we never have lost sight of the importance of those friendships. We knew the friendship was going to last way longer than the playing careers. Uh, so it was, it was, it was special to take those first Hornets teams and be a part of it. I mean, you, you're an expansion team. You, I mean, a roster was like a revolving door. You would, play six months with a guy and he'd be gone or two or three of them were gone. And then we got to the point where we got some talent and we were good yeah. and we could, you know, get to the playoffs and then win the first playoff series. And then we become a playoff team and, you know, it just winning breeds monsters also, you know, it's a whole lot of things. People, you ain't been in a locker room. You don't know the locker room. But winning breeds of monsters, and you don't get to be the top of your profession without somewhat of an ego. So it's hard to get everybody to check their egos at the door. And But that's the one thing with those Hornets teams. Everybody checked the ego at the door because I was like the bouncer <laughs> for the locker room. You weren't you weren't coming in my locker room with an ego. It was no, you know, any anything got a missed, I got it settled. And you know, that's that was you know, that was my role on those teams. You keep it about the team, the team, the team. I had more team meetings than any coach had. Just to <laughs> clear the air and make sure we all on on the same page and uh, you know it just, I, you know, I I never won a championship or come close to an NBA championship. That same old number number twenty three was a nemesis <laughs> in my life. But you know, you just you 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 get you get caught in a time where the NBA was really floundering. You know, I, I remember in, when I got drafted in 1986, there were only about four or five teams making money. It's, 
Check this out. This is this is this is going to blow a lot of people away. When I came into the NBA in 1986, the salary cap for the whole team was 12.6 million dollars. Jeez. Now the seventh or eighth man probably making 17 million dollars. The stars make 50 million dollars. So wish I'd have been born in '94 instead of '64. <laughs> I've been making them up 25 million these days. I got it. You get paid a million a point, basically. <laughs> That's yeah. a pay scale, a million and a half dollars a point these days. <laughs> Pro athletes in the 90s, the 80s, obviously the 70s, not making or didn't make what those guys these days are. So, so you've got to, you know, you have your playing career for you again, nine years, but then you've got to think afterwards, what's afterwards. And for you, it became a assistant coach. You were a coaching career that lasted 13 years as well. One stop at Old Dominion, other stops in the NBA. Did you kind of find, you know, was it an easy transition for you going from being a player to being a coach? What was that transition like? Well, the transition started at Old Dominion because it was important to me to go to college and get my degree. That was very important to me. I didn't skip classes. I didn't walk around. Oh, I'm a star athlete. I don't have to do no work. They're going to just give me passing grades. No, that's not how it went with me. It was very important for me to, to get my degree at Old Dominion before you know, guys started leaving college after two or three years, probably in about 83, 84, something like that. And, uh, of course, after my, after my junior year, I was ranked pretty high in the small forwards in the country. And, you know, some talk about, you know, if he left school early, he'd be a first rounder. I'm like, I'm not leaving nowhere. I got a driver's license and a meal card. Are you crazy? I'm staying <laughs> right at Old Dominion. So it was never a thought. And, you know, throughout my, my NBA playing career, I always treated people with respect. I always treated my coaches, you know, it's one of those things. You go up and you, you always hear Big Mama say, Talk to people like you want to be talked to. Treat people how you want to be treated. And, you know, I adhere to those things. And, you know, you get some athletes that's having success, success, whether it's college or on a pro level, they turn to the biggest prima donnas, you know, they had the ego so big they can't get it in the damn door. But I always was conscious of treating everybody the right way and being a guy that, you know, people couldn't say anything bad about. So that's how I went about my playing career. So naturally when I'm done playing, you know, my actually my first stop was in the front office with the uh, Charlotte Hornets and they were in disarray. They just traded 
They let Alonzo sign with Miami. As soon as I get in the front office, they're talking about trading Larry Johnson. I'm like, you know what? Y'all are getting ready to make a big mess. Let me <laughs> go find something else to do. And all at the same time, John Calipari is calling me two, three times a day, trying to get me to come up to New Jersey and be on his staff. And that's where I pivoted and went to uh, New Jersey and coached with uh, Cal for three years. So, and that was my coaching career and moved all over the country chasing that head coaching job but that I wanted it to be in college not in the NBA I wanted to be a college head coach the connection with Calipari does it go back to Joe Miller your your football coach at New Hanover High School those two yep. are cousins yep. I believe right yes it does God, I probably met Cal when I was 16 years old 15 16 years old because his his uh Brother would bring would bring Cal and Sean and Archie were just little boys. They would come down to Wilmington and spend a couple of weeks with Coach Miller hanging out at the beach. And of course, naturally, they all come over to football practice. And uh, I got to know Cal, and you know, it was be Cal wanted me to be on his staff because he knew I was a loyal guy that would be trustworthy and we went back so far it was it was coach miller that called me and like look how i want you to build your staff so i'm calling you and i'm gonna be the first to tell you he wants you on his staff i'm like all right coach and then that couple conversation with cal and now i was was cal on those uncw teams that you were you were beating when you you and your high school friends no, he spent, he spent was, a couple that, years at UNCW, right? Yeah, yeah. That was if I mean Cal wasn't the best of basketball players. They probably wouldn't have let him on the court, even with the UNC guys out there. <laughs> he might have been running around, but I think I was I think I was somewhere in between. Uh, because we really, we really didn't go over there and play. But a few times before yeah. Coach Gibson told us, don't bring y'all butts back <laughs> over here beating my guys. So it was really a – it was a funny thing. The high school kids go over there and beat the college kids, and they laugh and joke about coming to play at UNC Wilmington. All us to a man, you crazy. We getting the hell out of here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. putting those guys down it certainly has some good results there. So, so again, a 13-year career as a coach, and then another transition period for you. You now still work for the NBA, the president, vice president of the uh, National Basketball Retired Players Association. Tell us more about that group and, and your role with that. It was a group that uh, you know a lot of former players started. Dave Bing, uh, Dave DeBusher, Oscar Robertson uh, helped form that as well. What's your role with that group? Well, those guys were the, were the were the founders of the Retired Players Association, and you know, back in '91, somewhere around there, I was on the executive committee with the with the Players Association, and you know, working with the union, negotiating the collective bargaining agreements. And those guys came to us and said they wanted to start a Retired Players Association, and uh, we were like, "Oh, wow, that's a great idea." how can we help you and um so we 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 
let them have five minutes of FaceTime in locker rooms during training camp just to give guys literature on the Retired Players Association and, you know, what it was about. And now it's morphed into a, uh, gosh, we have close to 1,400 members now and consist of ABA players, NBA players, WNBA players, and Harlem Globetrotters now. So it's really grown uh, in the last – I've been on board for six years, and we've probably almost tripled our membership numbers. And we, we really put an emphasis on helping guys with that transition from playing to a normal work life, to a normal life without basketball. And that transition is very hard for these young men and young women because you you are a star from the time you 15 years old, high school, college, NBA, and you have all these friends and everybody wants to hang around you and can I do anything for you? Well, the day that jersey comes off your back, unless you're one of the elite players, you call up these so-called friends you got and you're looking for a job or you're looking for this, that, or the other, you don't get any callbacks. And that's that's a that's a very empty mental space to be in because all your life you've been told, oh man, you the greatest, you the greatest. And now all of a sudden, nobody calls you back. Your, your name's not in lights in the arena anymore. So you sit around and you're, you're in a unfamiliar place. You don't have a schedule anymore. Their practice don't start at 11. The bus doesn't leave for the airport. Da, 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 da. There's no game. There's no travel. So now you're stuck in life. And most guys aren't prepared for that because they don't start preparing for it early on. You know, when I came into the NBA, because of the pay scale, I knew I was going to work when I got done. Just so happened because I conducted myself as a professional on and off the court. I had numerous offers to to coach or go in the front office. And that's why it's so important that you 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 conduct yourself in a in a professional manner at all times because most times the 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 people you're working for are sitting in those NBA arenas. You just as a young man, you're not thinking that far down the down the road, but I was, you know. So we try to help with that transition. We have degree completion programs. We have professional uh, services, resume writing. Uh, we have a broadcasting boot camp uh, for, for people that want to venture into the broadcasting field. We have a partnership with the uh, NBA uh, coaches and mentorship program that we try to get people in that that looking for careers in coaching. So it's a... Uh, it's a pretty neat job. It keeps me involved in basketball and some of the old timers, the greats, and 
some of the new guys. So, you know, it's, it's, I'm an NBA lifer. I've been one foot in and one hand involved with the NBA at one form or another since I was 22 years old. So, like I said, it's been a great journey, absolute great journey. And an amazing journey. When you when you look at it, you know, your accomplishments and some of your honors, you had your number jersey, uh, number 44 jersey retired at Old Dominion. You're in their Hall of Fame. 2013, inducted into the Greater Wilmington Sports Hall of Fame. We've been lucky enough to have a couple previous inductees join us, John Bunting, uh, Trot Nixon, a couple of those guys. But to get recognized in your hometown, in a hometown that's littered with talent. <laughs> it's amazing, amazing, isn't it? Talent. You know, what does it mean to you to be in the Greater Wilmington Sports Hall of Fame? It's 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 just an honor. You know, it's something that I never I was that I was that guy. I never looked at a stat sheet after a game. All I looked at was a scoreboard. Did we win? That's all I was ever concerned about. And I had a singular focus of just being the best Kenny Gaddison I could be. And when you do the best that you humanly possibly can, Good things usually happen. I don't care what profession it is. When you do the best, when you don't take shortcuts, good things typically happen. And I I was just so blessed to be in 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 a bubble with just the tremendous coaches and and teachers and disciplinarians and it created the blueprint for success you know it's it's just i don't know how to say it without saying i'm so thankful for the coaches and the teachers and everybody that that was a part of my upbringing because in that mixing bowl of life, I took everything that was good from everybody that I would run across and meet. And everything that was bad, I left it outside of my bowl. So to be honored in the Wilmington Sports Hall of Fame, to be honored and put into the Old Dominion Sports Hall of Fame, have my number 44 retired in the rafters at ODU. And now our Kenny Gaddison court over there at New Hanover High School. And I was just over in New Hanover last week speaking to the boys and girls teams. And I'm standing on the Kenny Gaddison court logo. And I told them, I said, this logo is on this court. 50% is because I was a terrific athlete and a winner. And I said, the other 50% of it is I treated people good. I was respectful to my teachers, my principals, my coaches, you know, because 
for these things to come in place and you receive all these accolades and honors, there's a body of people that have to agree to put you in this place. It's not one person making these decisions. And like I told those kids over there, if I was a jerk and a butthole while I was at New Hanover High School and a jerk and a butthole when I was playing with the Charlotte Hornets and come home to Winwin and talking down to people and everything, my name would not be on this court. 50% of it is I was a great athlete and I, I was a winner. And the other 50% is I treated people the right way. And that's why it's, it's, the, it's the things that I've instilled in my children. And I can take them to Wilmington and say, you see? <laughs> you, you see, you, you see my jersey here. You see all this. You see that it's because I did things the right way. So you just follow my guidance and follow my leading life, and you're gonna be just fine. So it's 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 all the it's all of the, and I started this thing off talking about the amazing experience in real life, real real time experience that you gain being a part of a team. And it it it, it just gives you amazing communication skills, amazing decision making and critical thinking. It gives you all of these what they call soft skills. They talk about now. Hell, it's common sense skills. <laughs> Treat people good. If you see a book, pick it up and read it. <laughs> I mean, it, life is real simple. And that's one thing I've mastered in my life, keeping things real simple. And it, life is beautiful. It's the people that you allow in your life that screw it up. So you better learn how to use a filter in them and a sifter because everybody can't go where you want to go. So it's, it's just, it's my formula that it's worked for me. I pass it down to my children and they're going to pass it down to their children. And then yeah, I got my first grandson five months ago. And it's like, let me sit in my rocking chair and smoke my cigar and enjoy what I've done. So that's kind of where I am now. I'm, I'm just a happy, former professional, washed up, broke down athlete. But just, I'm just grateful and blessed for the journey. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just one of those things where If you treat people good, good things will happen to you. You know, it's life. It's going to be some ups and downs, some peaks and valleys. I had some major injuries in my career. Total retire. You let that, think I let that stop me? You tell. Tell me what I can't do. Now you're really going to see something. So, you know, and, 
at this point in my life now, I'm where I call, I've taken off my armor. I don't have to fight wars anymore. I don't have to fight battles anymore. You know, my life is like a smooth lake and so at peace, so comfortable. And, you know, I'm three hours away from my sisters and my family and Wilmington. It just, you know, I'm, and I'm right back in North Carolina, which I always knew I'd come back to. So if this was a movie script, <laughs> it couldn't have been written. It couldn't. It couldn't have been written any 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 better. Yeah, for a guy who thought he was going to be the tight end for the Cowboys, to have the court <laughs> that you played basketball on named after you, and, and all these accolades, I, I could tell life certainly has treated you well as you're approaching, uh, you know, 60 years and a couple of years here. Uh, life is good to you, and it's it's great to see, Kenny. Can't thank you enough for spending some time with us, sharing such incredible stories about your journey and and the journey that continues and your involvement now and. The messages that you're sharing are certainly uh, are very good for, for today's youth and those kids that were listening to you at New Hanover a couple of weeks ago. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on and um, look forward to uh, chatting with you guys again in the future. Hey, great stuff there. Episode number 55, Kenny Gaddison joining us and sharing his journey with us. We thank you for watching or listening today. And as always, remind you to subscribe to our podcast as we'll have more great guests coming your way soon from all walks of life. Again, more basketball, football, baseball, others to come as well. Thanks for joining us here today. We'll see you next time for another edition of In the Front Row with Mike Vaccaro. Have a great day, everybody.